Hey everyone, welcome back to Art Ballad. It's our, it feels like it's been so long since we have done a themed yeah, it's episode. Been, feels like it's been a minute. Um, <clears throat> I went to the dentist today and I'm <laughs> super sore. So luckily John has turned the tables and done, <laughs> and done a bunch of research for what we're talking about today, which is abstract expressionism. Yeah. Mr. John? Um, yeah. <clears throat> I did a little research. It's an area that I was comfortable talking about a little bit, and then I realized, wait a second, no I'm not. Me neither. <laughs> like, if, if we really want to do like a, a good themed episode with some more history and more people that, that really, you know, I learned a lot by doing it, which is good, because it's an area that I feel like I work in under that umbrella of abstract expressionism so much. <clears throat> it would be helpful to know a little bit about the roots, and uh, I realized that now I know so much more than I did, and what I knew was very, very little. So I'm happy that I that I did the research and uh, learned Shout some stuff. Shout out Wikipedia. I didn't didn't go to Wiki for I don't think anything. Oh, okay, <laughs> I did. Yeah, well, that's the thing is like I kind of wanted to find different sources because we were researching kind of right. like separately and then mm -hmm. compiling at the end, and. Um, yeah, so I integrated your research in there, and I'm glad that we used different sources. So, abstract expressionism. Yes. What is it? I usually don't like dictionary.com. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm very much a Merriam-Webster's man. I was going to say, what happened to your girlfriend Merriam-Webster? Is that it? Merriam? 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 Yep. Okay. M-E-R-R-I-A-M. <laughs> yeah, uh, m-w.com. Uh, but this came from dictionary.com just because it was the first thing and I really liked how they worded it. So they define abstract expressionism by subjective emotional expression with particular emphasis on the creative spontaneous act. I like it. Why? How do you, oh. Well, let's <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna, how do you feel about it? Well, you, no. you, got, you got me. Uh, I like it because everything in there... Is bang on. They like they yeah, they cut the fat yeah. and there's so many words, but every word makes sense. Uh -huh. So it yeah. is. It is. <laughs> I know that's exactly what yeah. it is. I guess so. it is. It is subjective mm -hmm. because it's not like I'm going to do a photorealistic portrait. You could objectively say, no, this one is better than that one. Right. Like this, there's a stick man, and this is like mm -hmm. some uh, Chuck Close shit. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Um, <laughs> It is emotional. I like that it has the word emotional in mm -hmm. there. The expression is key because we're talking about creating something and communicating something. Um, it has particular emphasis on the creative spontaneous act. And that, to me, is the most important part of all this. Yeah. Um, I Sorry, I agree. I have nothing... Yeah. How do I feel about that? Perfect. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I, 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 the spontaneous thing, to me, is... Well, it's this creative spontaneous mm -hmm. act, too, which is also important, is that I feel like abstract expressionism specifically, not just any other type of abstract work, um, relies on this emotional expression in the moment that you don't right. pre-plan. Mm -hmm. Because you could pre-plan some abstracts and just be like, hey, well, I'm just going to do... Because abstract could be just be like non-objective. It could be like, there's no figures, there's no right. landscapes or dogs or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's nothing in here that you could signify as a thing with a name. But you could plan that. Mm -hmm. that that'd be like the red dot on a white background. You're like, I planned it. 
that's not spontaneous. No. And and I feel like that's what's really important here for like again spontaneous. So would you not call that <clears throat> abstract, or would you just call it a circle on a paper? I would call it, a, it oh it's abstract still, okay. but it's not abstract expressionism. Mm. Right. Okay. And that's that's this key thing. Yeah. Um. I got another definition here, and uh, well, it's, it's not a definition. Well. It's not like a dictionary definition, here's what it is, but someone was talking about it, and he was talking about um, the the people that really formed the movement. Right. <clears throat> and he was saying, they insisted their subjects were not abstract, but rather primal images deeply rooted in society's collective unconscious. Their paintings did not express mere emotion. They communicated universal truths about the human condition. Eh. No, no eh. good? No, I don't think. I mean... Man, that sounds like some hippy-dippy person <laughs> on Facebook. I don't know. It, does, it, is, does it sound too self-important? Yes. I, I just keep reading it. Ugh. <laughs> I just don't like it. That's, <clears throat> that's no... No, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's all I got. Well, the, the first one I feel like is, is very open still. Like, it, it yeah. defines it, it puts it in a corner of like, hey, this is this thing. Mm-hmm. And this is taking it to this other level and being like, no, no, no. This is this extra layer of, it's mostly the last part. Um, it's not merely emotion. It's um, communicating universal truths with the human condition. See, and... No. <clears throat> he, he, okay, here's where I get caught up in this. I really like being self-important. No, no. <laughs> not you. Um, but the thing is that I feel that it's hard to be spontaneous if you have this, like, I am communicating the the, the, the utmost truths of humanity. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> that's my really self-important, grandiose voice. Um, so, so, I'm just gonna put some sheets on the couch. Thanks. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, sorry. I feel like it's hard to be spontaneous if you're if you've got that mentality. Mm-hmm. However, um, there's some things after this that kind of relate, and, and it, it kind of makes me feel better about it. And it's like, let's say that <clears throat> if you're talking about universal truths of human condition, just just, just the act of creating could be mm-hmm. that, right? Just being like. Um, we're going to get into existentialism here in a minute, but but to me, that that kind of ties this thing up a little bit and being like, maybe it's not crazy self-important, maybe they just realize on a philosophical level, hey, just me creating this right. is the human condition. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I definitely at first was like, this is, I wouldn't have said hippy-dippy, but I would, <laughs> but to me, like, yeah, like, this is some real self, like, this is even too much for me. Like, that's saying a lot. Um, but we'll get back to it. It sounds like it. Buddy just smoked a lot of pot. Before he said this. Yeah. I don't know, man. I really don't like it. Well, we'll see if you can come around on it or not. And maybe you won't. And that's okay. Um, so that's a little bit about defining what we talk, when we mean when we talk about abstract expressionism, the concepts behind it, and what separates right. it from other things, even other abstracts. Not always necessarily in the way they look, but <clears throat> in the intention and mm-hmm. purpose behind them. So, um, a little bit of historical stuff, and we'll kind of just pepper things around, and of course it wouldn't be an art ballad podcast if it didn't go off the rails, <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> so it was an art movement that started in the 1940s, uh, specifically New York City. It gained popularity um, <clears throat> and became one of like the leading artistic trends in the 1950s that really kind of like peaked. And uh, I guess it wasn't just in the USA, but it brought the USA to the forefront of like the art world for the first time. First time, it seemed like in history, it was like, yo, the US, they're doing like important art things and they're leading this. Mm -hmm. Whereas prior to that, um, different places however, in Europe... However... Oh, however... I just want to say something. Okay. We can't be like, ooh, the U.S. is... It was immigrants that did it. Refugees, immigrants, you know, people that aren't from there. Which is every white person ever. No, but... I... Don't. <laughs> don't. It was the people that were fleeing from Europe that... Some of them. Lots of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but they still... The attention was still on the U.S. Right. It's not like it went back to, this guy's from Germany, so really Germany did this. Because it wasn't just one person, mm -hmm. which is kind of arguable. Um, but yeah, so it kind of put the spotlight on the U.S. for the art world for a bit. Previously, like most recently then, it would have been on France. Um, and, and what was happening in Paris, specifically. <clears throat> um, you just talked about immigrants and like people coming and fleeing from mm -hmm. whatever. And so a name that I'm going to go into more detail with later, Hans Hoffman. He was one of these people. Hans. Hans. What did I say? Hans. Hans. <laughs> Hans. Hans Hoffman. Hoffman. Um. <laughs> what? What did I say? It was me. I'm funny. <laughs> oh, I I missed the funny. Um, Hans. <clears throat> Han Solo. Hans Olo. Uh, Hans Hoffman is the one who bridged that gap. So I'll talk about more about him later. But he did some of his education in Paris. And so he... Okay. So he, he wasn't... For, like, he's German. But, like, he, he had some of his education in, in Paris. Um, and then he ended up, like, going back to Germany. And then it was like, oh, Nazis, let's get out of here. And then he went to the U.S. <clears throat> right. And so he's kind of a huge... Arguably the person who started abstract expressionism. Hmm. But at least I want to get into more on it later because I just mentioned Nazis. Um, so World War II um, was a thing and that happened. And like you said, many people fled because of that, including mm -hmm. people like Hans right. um, and other artists and, and whatever else and immigrants. And there was, there was reasons, and like you said, refugees and, and whatever. So that brought a lot of people seeking asylum and, and whatever else and... They, a lot of them came to the U.S. Um, because of the horrors of the war, um, it is said that a lot of these artists were really talking about existentialism, um, that it really appealed to this group of artists that was starting abstract expressionism. Um, through, I wish I remembered who, who I'm stealing this, or I'm summarizing this from, uh, through the artist's physical struggle with his materials, a painting itself might ultimately come to serve as a lasting mark of one's existence. And the way I read that denotes that those are not my words. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, that, that is one of those things that I tie back to that, oh, this is a self-important human condition. Right. And I really feel something personal with this, um, with, with my artistic practice. I think it's yeah. very a heavy... I w <laughs> when I read that, I was like, he would pull this. Like, he would pull this piece of information. Yeah. Because it is you. Yeah. Very much so. Um, 
I I agree with this, this far more than the primal thing. Oh, the, the <laughs> I still don't like human it. or the truths. Um, and... yeah, I don't know. I sorry, I'm really sore and itchy. It's okay. Oh, you have. I'd like you to explain why you. Mm-hmm. Why this speaks to me? Speaks to you so much. Um, well, I'm just going to read it again here. Um, yeah, given the atrocities of World War II, existential appeal to the average. Through the artist's physical struggle with his materials, a painting itself might ultimately come to serve as a lasting mark of one's existence. So I haven't gone through these horrors of war or right. really faced much tragedy or. Um, other than the tragedy of existence, um, any any no. like any like fucking someone's gonna come do a welfare check on us. <laughs> um, I haven't gone through stereotypical traumas and all this stuff. Right. So that part doesn't apply to me. But but the leaving behind of something, the existentialist part. I don't know why there's something in my anxious nature and my anxiety stems a lot from mortality. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, keep going. <laughs> Raise my hand. No, you can. I, no, I, was no, just... I don't know what people's fear of ending when they're dead is. Because that's it. Yeah. That's not fun. But you're dead. You know what I mean? Yeah, I but you, but you know that it's gonna. If you, but that's the thing. That's why animals. Who aren't aware of their own ex- mortality or anything? They're just so happy and just I'm just doing the things I'm supposed to do in nature and stimuli and just do whatever. Th- they don't know the the terror of this is going to stop. Yeah. Like they know that like something's trying to get them sometimes. But I don't think they realize like that 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 thing means death and what death right. is. They have a c- concept of that. Um. But we, we do, and <laughs> and I do a lot. Well, so yeah. like, the awareness of that just the, the thing is that it could happen at any second. It could happen right now. Because uh, like I could have a heart attack, uh, a friggin' something could fall from the sky and land on us. A jet could come. Like things happen. Those things are documented. That happen. They're not crazy. Like, do you know how many times I daydream? Uh, it's not really daytime because I'm laying in bed at night. Of the train across the highway, yeah, just coming through the. Way. It's just a across the highway. Like, it's, trains derail. It, it's it happens. Like, yeah, like, it's like four boxcars, and it would be. Uh, yeah, so I mean that stuff can happen. Yeah, and like, I don't obsess about it daily. It's just in the. It's on the. It's in does the, it cross your mind daily? I wouldn't say daily. Because when it does cross my mind, <laughs> like sometimes it's easier to push out than other times. Right. Um. If I'm in a, that's the thing, if I'm emotionally in not a good place, it's mm-hmm. way harder to get that out of my head. Right. Even though it could be completely unrelated, mm-hmm. it's just, like, way harder. I wouldn't say it's daily. It's just, I mean, sometimes I'm just really anxious for other reasons, and then I just start thinking, like, it's what I call feeling doom, and it's really rare, but it's, like, the most, my anxiety does not, like, I don't have stereotypical anxiety attacks, like shortness of breath or whatever, like very often. It's really rare. Fuck. Like, I can count on probably one hand, honestly, since, like, 
the first one that I can think of, which was probably the 2006. And since then, I've probably only had four or five where it got that bad where I'm like, I feel like I can't breathe and I feel like I'm going to die. Like, I feel like right now I'm going to die and I'm, I'm, that's it. Um, it's just really, really rare. But when that happens, it takes a long time for me to get out of it. Because I'm like, I feel like I'm going to die right now and I don't know what to do. And I feel like something's going to happen and like I'm going to walk out of my house and this is going to happen. Like, part of it is the physical sensation. Right. And part of it is like something that hasn't happened yet that adds to the, the anxiety, which then adds to the physical sensation. And it's just loops yeah. of like, what do I do? Like, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> like, and I can't because I'm I'm not a person who can like just sleep at any time. Like, oh man. Oh, I just like even if I I'm, sleep my problems away. I, I wish, <laughs> I wish, um, but it just doesn't work that way for me. So like, yeah, it's um, I, like I said, I don't know where it stems from. It's not something I obsess over because if I like the thing, if I'm thinking about it constantly, like there's no way for like. Uh, we're getting into such a huge other topic. I don't know how to reconcile it. I'm aware that it's going to happen, but I just tell myself, well, no, it's not. Yeah. Or just tell myself, that is so far in the future. Like, I just keep telling myself that I'm not going to, like, I'm just going to live, I'm going to die of old age. I've got time to figure it out. I'm like, old people figure it all the time. They come, they're, they, they're at peace, and, like, I've got 40 years to get there. Don't say anything. So, <laughs> I've got 40 years or whatever. Years is good. I think you have a little over 40. <clears throat> Probably 60. Um... Pushing it. <laughs> well, let's get to triple digits. Let's let's do this. I um, don't. I, I, I still wouldn't be. There. I don't want to live out of my eighties. See, but it depends on. Uh, some people are really healthy still. I just don't want to. That's too much world to have been. That's seen. too much world. To, that's <laughs> too. Just, well, <clears throat> maybe maybe I'll come to listen. peace with mortality, and maybe by then you'll come to terms with wanting to hang out a little longer. I have seen. World Trade Centers go down. I have seen the flesh-eating diseases start. I'm living through a pandemic. Two children. Yeah, that's enough right there. Stop. You should have pulled a plug right <laughs> It's, I've, yeah. Like, man, could you imagine? What? Uh, what? This, how much more is going to happen in... Whew. That many years. Yeah, see, don't think about it. That's the thing. See, don't that think gives it. me anxiety. You just dropping dead gives you anxiety. Thinking of how much more things I have to live through gives me anxiety. Well, it gives me anxiety if I think about it in like a... Floating cars? What happens when that happens? <laughs> and then we have this new thing that everybody wants to try, and then like death rates go up because of automobile accidents, and ugh, I don't know, man. Just stupid. Like... See, that stuff I don't worry about because I'm like, things happen slowly, we'll figure it out, work out the kinks, it'll just be the idiots, it'll be Darwinism, like, they'll get killed off, hopefully. Then again, drunk driving, you kill, you know, those people are idiots and they kill other people. So, but, anyway. but, see, I, I get anxious if I'm thinking about, like, I don't want to spoil it because I want to watch it with you one day and it's, it's a book that I haven't read yet. What? Uh, the Road. Which is spoil it. But if I think about, like, post-apocalyptic if i think of like world war three that gives me anxiety because even if i live through it i don't want to i don't want to experience that right i don't want to be like scrounging in the dirt for slugs to eat or whatever like you know what i mean like i don't right. that's not the existence i want i just want this this is cool i like this like mm -hmm. you know things would be better and uh, i'm very privileged first world you know well the state just needs to make better choices and i think 
World War Three won't happen. Uh, anyway, that's really funny. We got full circle. We went from World War Two to World War Three, and it was like ten minutes of ranting. I like that. Good teamwork. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I identify with that. Um, yeah, the act of painting in itself ultimately comes to serve as a lasting mark of one's existence. I've talked before about, like, okay, if I can't live forever, like, some of my stuff can, though, it doesn't really help me. Ooh, like, it doesn't really help see, my anxiety. that makes me anxious. Fuck. Well, it, it doesn't help my anxiety because I also know, like, yeah, some of my stuff is probably already in the dump. Someone's painted over it. Somebody, like, it's at Value Village now. Like, I don't know. But maybe some of it will get, like, handed down as, like... Not because I'm famous, but because someone's like, oh, I really love this painting and I want to pass this on to you. Like, it, it, Ugh. <sighs> you can't die while we're together. So we're going to have to break up what, prior. What does that have to do with this? I don't know, because it's just like... <sighs> You're the one Think who wants to... all your paintings and your writing and your... <sighs> Jordan. <laughs> oh, you don't want to deal wanna, with it. Mm, no way. Oh, okay. I want one painting. That is it. Oh. Oh, that's so nice. You want a painting. See, but I didn't... Like, okay, we're talking about my non-existent will right now, but it is my literal, like, will as in, like, not legally, but, like, my desire is that all my art things, I yeah, I have written in one spot that I, I would like you and Jordan to figure out what to do with it. Like, even even not just things I created, but even, like, my books or, like, whatever. Yeah, like, that's what gives me anxiety. Yeah. Well, that, I'll, Jordan has to... I mean, Jordan's younger than me. You're younger than me, too, though, so... Jordan's younger than me. No. Yes, he is. Is he? Yeah, by like a year and a half. No. Yes, he is. By like two days or something. I don't remember. I didn't think, no, I don't think it's that much. He just turned how old? I don't know. I'm a bad friend. He just had a birthday and I don't remember how old he turned. I think he just turned 28. I think he just turned 29. Call him. I, I'm not going to call him, but I could figure this out after because I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure I made a joke, like, next year it's the 30s, the dirty 30s. I think he just turned 29. Anyway, that's enough about Jordan. Jordan gets brought up somehow or another, like every other episode. Jordan's my main man. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's weird, but anyway. So, this is, this is, this is where we bring in... Uh... <coughs> Jerry Springer? No, I was going to oh. say one of my favorite quotes that had to do with... Oh. I wasn't going to go deeper into the hole. I was going to, like, help us get out of it. Sorry. That, that uh, humor is the knife which we cut through the forest of despair. Um, and that's why there's a time and a place for joking about anything, like death and other things, because cause we need to get away from those things and escape. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that, that's the thing. There's a part of me that, like, it doesn't make me feel better, to, but, it, but it makes, like, it doesn't really, but it, some, it must a little bit. Like, just a fraction for me to think about, like... There's that self-importance thing again. I'm like, what if people are still looking at my work, or they know who I am, or that, like, somehow I can live on, even though, like, I... Right, so you die physi- but live on. Yeah, but the physical sensation is over for me, so the rest doesn't matter. But then I'm like, yeah, but it'd be... I mean, like, I'm still reading these works from authors that died hundreds of years ago, and, like... I'm not stopping until I'm in textbooks. Well, it's easy. You can just pull a Unabomber or something, and then... There you go. I'm not stopping until I'm in textbooks and I can read about them. For something that's positive. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so yeah, that's kind of that tie-in again of like, 
immigrants coming here, why they came here, but also maybe why those people specifically were doing the type of work they were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Another really... We'll stop getting into the heavy stuff soon, I promise. Um, I got a lot of voices in this episode. Yeah, I'd say. You'd think there's four people sitting next to me. (laughs) Yeah, you, 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 and then one of me. (laughs) That's funny because it's true. Um, So, Barnett Newman... Uh, he was an artist that was associated with the abstract expressionist movement, and th- these are his words here. We felt the moral crisis of a world in shambles, a world destroyed by a great depression and a fierce world war, and it was impossible at that time to paint the kind of paintings that we were doing. Flowers, nudes, the figure, like these were things that they were doing. Um, now, this is the area that I was kind of a little bit comfortable with talking about, and there's not a lot to say, but just having to take our history classes in university for my degree, it was like, well, every art movement is just a reaction to the one that came before it. Mm-hmm. There's like a, you know, we need to get away from that. Like, no, that stuff sucks. It's like rebelling against your parents. It's just like, yeah, that thing sucks now. I don't like that thing. Let's do this. And you write a right. manifesto, like a very literal, like, I mean, um, what's his name? Salvador Dali, you know, when he created the surrealism, mm-hmm. he wrote a manifesto. This is what surrealism is. This is what art is. And if art's, if, you, if you're not doing this, then fuck you. Like, that was basically, it was like, art is surrealism and, and every other thing sucks. So get it out of my face. Um, that's not, I don't think, what they did. With, with This happened a little more naturally. Jesus. <laughs> but, but the thing is that that's the thing, is that everything is a reaction to sometimes art movements that came before it. I think that's beautiful. I think that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Well, good. <laughs> well, Sorry. It, because like, th- this isn't necessarily a reaction to the art that came before it. It kind no. of is, but but it's also like you said because of the time. It was just yeah. like we. How do you? We're gonna paint flowers and oh look at the body. It's so beautiful. And it's like the atrocities of war they mentioned. And yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think that's great. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. He also mentioned the thing about the cello, uh, but I took that out of the quote and then I brought it back. Good job, Mister Newman. What about the cello? <laughs> it was just like. Um, it was impossible to paint the kind of paintings we were doing. Flowers, reclining nudes, people playing the cello. Oh, like well, I, I, I don't mean, know why I took that out, but yeah, because that's the thing. It was like, yeah, we don't need you know blue guitars and whatever. Like no. uh, anyway, yeah. Um, so that that's kind of how this movement got rolling a bit, as well as it's a response to what's happening in the world. Right, and, and that is also I think that is the most art art thing ever. Yeah, most artistic art thing. You know what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and then, I, like I said, it just that's just a thing. It's like, yeah, every it responds to the art before it for some reason, and this mm-hmm. this is why. I want to kind of get into some of the key players in the game here. Okay. And I want to expand on some of them a little more than others. But um, the thing is that if people really, really know their art history, which I do not... Um, Me neither. <laughs> then, Warren, you left this person out, and you left that person uh, We can't just list everybody and everything. And um, So, Clement Greenberg, we're going to go into detail with Jackson Pollock. There's a lot of information on him, and he's important as well, so we're going to get into him. Or you talked about Hans, Ho- Hans Hoffman. There you go. <laughs> Hans Hoffman, <laughs> and we'll get into him a little more, too. Um, but uh, Willem de Kooning is a name that a lot of people know. Uh, Franz Klein... Um, also, we have some women that hell yeah that that were really important, and there's other ones that are you know on lists that we just didn't put on ours because of time. 
But Elaine de Kooning is often overlooked and overshadowed because of Willem de Kooning because he was a man. So, um, also... Well, your but, penis here important. <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, I'm going to butcher this name, but Helen Frankenthaler... Uh, yeah, I can say it either. I tried. ...is also um, another key woman figure in the movement. So, um... I don't have a lot to say about the women, which is just, that's a whole other thing, right? Like, I can acknowledge that there were women in the movement, and no matter what I do, I feel like, oh, I'm just not doing enough. Right. But it's one of those things, too, that the way that our history was taught to me and what I feel is important, because that's what I was told, and, like, what I feel about what I know, it's just like, okay, well, I understand why these other people are really important, and these people are important, too, but I, my knowledge isn't there. But Elaine de Kooning, um abstract expressionist and she did other things as well uh but she was really like this community leader she was a mentor she, there was like a club i don't remember the name of it that that was in their community and she would have these like uh like round table conversations she was facilitating all these ideas and kind of like it wasn't like a formal debate or anything mm-hmm. but it was just like getting together as artists and just having right. conversation and just like so she was really important as this as this specific thing was like growing and like abstract expressionism, it's like, yeah, this is crazy, what are we doing? Like this is really good stuff. She was a person who really kind of like stoked the fires in in her community. And I forget the name of the artist, one of her really close friends, female, owned her own gallery in that time, which was completely insane back then. But yeah, I feel like to do, for, sorry, a female to do that or have that. I feel like statistically it probably still is <laughs> you know, not super common in comparison to men that own galleries, but... Yeah, because women can't own anything. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't get that tidbit, but that's, that's, yeah, that's really key, was... especially if she was mm-hmm. giving opportunities to other worthy women that yeah. were being left out just because they were women. Um, and then I mentioned Helen Frank, Frankenthaler, um, and so she had really large-scale abstract expressionist paintings as well. Uh, she had her work in contemporary museums and galleries in that time where, you know, it, it was booming. So in the 1950s. Um, I'm going to mention Clement Greenberg again. And you don't know who he is yet. I mean, if you don't know who he is yet, we're going to get into him. Um, but she was included in this uh, post-painterly abstraction exhibit. It was curated by him, Clement Greenberg. And that's really important. That The fact that he, he was, I mean this very important art critic, arguably one of the most important. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he would include her um, was like a, it was, it was like a stamp of approval. Right. Um, so, I mean, she did get recognized in her time a little bit, which, which is good. Good for her. Yeah. Um, and she did some color field painting, which is, at the very end, I kind of want to talk about these three different technical... Yes, and that's one thing I did look up on a little tiny bit. Yes, and I didn't, so I'm glad that you brought it to the table, because... Oh, don't expect me to say a lot. No, I know what color field is and stuff. It's just that I didn't even put it in my notes. Right. Um, So with that, Clement Greenberg. And uh, for the very few Saskatchewan people listening, then you might already know this, but there's a tie-in between a place called Emma Lake and Clement Greenberg. Um, At one time, Saskatoon was called the Paris of the Prairies. Um, I knew that. How do I know that? You must have told I me. I must have said it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> because of, of all the art stuff that was happening there. Right. Um, but yes, Clement Greenberg. So he uh, is an NYC native. So we, we talked a little bit about how this movement, despite being like abstract expressionism in the States, it was even really more focused in like New York City. This right. is This is where it's happening. I mean, it's mm-hmm. also where art 
was just like really, mm-hmm. really, really happening as well. Um, he is somewhat responsible for how big this movement got, and he is not an artist. Um, he is or was uh, a critic, an art critic. And back in those times, especially when not everyone had a voice and like, oh, I'm just going to tweet this or whatever. Right. Like, it, there's gatekeepers, right? There's like, oh, if this critic says something about your restaurant, then your restaurant's going down in flames if he doesn't like it or your play's going to get shut down on Could Broadway. Can you imagine? Ugh, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was an NYC native. Um, again, arguably one of the most influential art critics in history, um, at least in the States, if not more than that. I pulled this quote from him that I really like. Um, art criticism has to be as original as the art. And I, I re- hmm. yeah, I feel like he wasn't just like some self-important jackass. He was just like, there's a standard to art journalism. Right. And he believed in it and he, you know, wanted to, to uphold that, that high standard and being like, you know, you can't just write drivel about, no, he, and I've read some of his criticism and I'm like, this is next level stuff like this is some some of it was hard for me to keep up with right um so anyway very important um so the tie-in just a little fun fact um there was this place called emma lake or still is there but uh there's a certain period of time where it was like this really crazy like art it was like you can go like an artist retreat camp thing and all these artists went there from saskatchewan and um they gathered there and clement greenberg went there one year Oh, wow. Um, yeah. He, he went down there to visit and, like, he... Because they would have, like, workshops and mm-hmm. stuff. It could be just like, hey, do you just come and go and paint and do whatever? But also, it'd be like, hey, we're doing workshops, we're learning, we're, like... Like I said, almost like an artist retreat of just being, like, free to explore and just you're in this new environment and you've got other... That's the thing. You've got community of artists who really want to push things. Right. And, like... So it was this really important... I wish I did more research on Emma Lake, but it was um, just this period of time where it was you know, this, this really, uh, I don't know how to, focal point, or I guess when, when art was really thriving mm-hmm. in, in Saskatchewan, um, and, and there was this community and everything else, and Clement Greenberg, Clement Greenberg even, you know, had visited there because at that time it was, like, worthy of his attention. Um, That's kind of cool. It, yeah, this, I, I think it's pretty cool. So... Most people don't know that name, um, but they do know the name Jackson Pollock. And the reason Jackson Pollock is so famous, partly, is to do with Clement Greenberg. Because he wrote about him. Uh, He first mentioned him in 1943. Oh, shoot. Yeah, and so that was kind of when this whole movement was starting. And Pollock didn't start by doing abstracts. Right, I was going to say, because that was before abstract was big by any means. Yeah. He was doing, like, these little sculptures and, like, yeah. whatever, and just regular-ass drawings, and mm-hmm. just couldn't... He wasn't really too impressed with what he was doing either. Um, and there's going to be, like, this this whole... These, this trifecta of three people that are really going to come. And we got Clement Greenberg, the art critic. We got Pollock, who we don't... I mean, if you don't know anything about him, you're going to know a little bit. But he's probably the most recognizable name in abstract expressionism and probably one of the most recognizable... The lady who bought my piece has a piece from him, doesn't she? No, I think she has a piece that of someone who was influenced by him. Oh, okay, because she's yeah. telling me something. Lady, I don't have a clue. Well, and, yeah. I was going to say, she probably said a lot to you in a short amount it, of time. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, someone who's from the same school, I think, oh, okay. is him. Um, and the other name, which we already mentioned, was Hans Hoffman. Mm-hmm. So they're all going to kind of come together here. 
Um, but yes, Clem Greenberg championed him very early on, and, and from there it was just like, okay, well, let's pay attention to this guy. So um, another thing about uh, Greenberg, he really idealized paintings about space and color, about painting in itself is how he would word it. So that is why he, he really was pushing the abstract expressionist movement because that's what it's about. It's about space, like how you're using the space of the canvas with your color, right. like your composition, and it's painting about painting a lot of mm -hmm. the time um, because there's no subject matter to talk about. And he was like, this is the purest form of art. He got to a point where he was like, if it's not abstract, abstract expressionism, like, fuck it. I don't want to hear about it. Like, he got to that point with it where he would just couldn't even give two shits about any other kind of art. I get it. Um, anyway, back to Hans. Um, I really like this, this phrasing that he was concerned with the disillusion of the subject, um, which is really... Again, what abstract, not just expressionism, but what abstracts are all about, non-objective work, is right. the subject is gone. If the subject was a, a, um, a, a human figure before, that's gone. If it was a landscape, no, gone. Like, there's, the subject isn't there. The subject becomes painting in and of itself. Um, and he is seen as one of the innovators of this movement. Um, so we mentioned that he was, he went to Paris to do some studying, uh, Went back to Germany. Oh, Nazis, I'm out of here. New York City, here I come. Um, so that's that's kind of his story there. Uh, so he was part of the avant-garde um, in, in Paris before the World War, and then he moved to NYC. So we talked about him bridging this gap of, like, of Europe to the States. And, and like you mentioned, hey, 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 the States don't get all this attention, but, I mean, he right. lived there, so that yeah. it brought the attention there. But certainly, you're right, he wasn't, like fifth generation, like, mm -hmm. U.S. artist, an all-American boy. No, he came from Europe and then brought the attention with him. Um, he was not just an influential artist. He was a teacher. He taught Pollock. He taught Clement Greenberg. Um, he taught others as well. Hmm. But he was this teacher who, if they were giving out teacher awards, I'm sure he, he got one um, by the sounds of it from everything. So um, he also was quoted as saying, Eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. And that is something that I, I think also speaks to abstract. It's, right. I mean, I would say that kind of defines minimalism a little more, but it's like, let's take all the stuff out that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what abstracts can be sometimes. Like, we don't need... Like I said, mentioned the blue guitar before. Like, oh, let's have a, like, a sad little guy in the corner playing a blue guitar. And so part of this quote, and, and the people that really worked like this, was like, Let's take the dude out of there, take the guitar out of there, fuck that guy. The color blue is what's really giving the emotion. And and that's why, you know, Van Gogh and, and all these other artists like use certain color palettes because it's like that is giving the emotion. You don't need to have a sad little face to like <laughs> to show that it's sad, right? So the, they were just like, let's simplify this. Let's get that stuff out of here. It's distracting. Um, so I just really like the wording there again. Eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. We love simple. Well, I think that, well, that's one thing I want to bring back when we talk about our own abstract work, because, yeah, yeah it's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I think of that, and I, I really enjoy it. Um, again, the, this, this triangle is, is like coming back with these three people, um, but Janice Van Horn is, uh, was Clement Greenberg's wife, and she, you know, saw Hans Hoffman working, and this is a quote from her. I saw him sitting alone in the backyard, pl 
plunged so deep inside himself that I wondered if he would be able to find his way back. Um, and again, I, I really just like that because it's... <laughs> Does that also speak to you? I don't think so. You don't think so? Well, I mean, you, you're you the one who would be witnessing me. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I uh, think it does. I think you get like that a lot of the time. Whether it be... How do I want to word it? You are the only person in the room once you start. Whether it be what you think, what you're thinking of putting on canvas or in your writing books or whatever. What would you like to say? I was just going to ask if you could open the door. Oh. <laughs> it's getting really hot in here. You said I was the only person in the room when I start. Yeah. I, I've seen what she's explaining I've seen. Mm. And I just kind of know to shut the fuck up <laughs> and, <laughs> and let it happen. I think it's very much you. Oh. That's all. Don't be weird. I don't know. It's... I don't... It's... Okay. The reason why I don't think it's me is is just purely just because when I picture that, like, I get this visual of this dude, like, hunched over and just, like, part of what you're saying is that, like, everything else is dead to him. Like, it's just, like, right. this is what I'm doing. Don't disturb me. Like, you don't exist right now. Um, I can identify with a little bit of that, but for some reason, I, like, I envision this dude, like, like it said, uh, so deep inside himself, I wondered if he would be able to find his way back. I don't feel that there's a question about me finding my way back. I feel like the piece is done, I feel it's resolved, and I feel better. Mm -hmm. and, and, like, that that's how I find my way back, is through the piece. Right. Whereas... But it, in the middle of that... Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, I guess. Well, yeah. that's the thing. It's just how we're interpreting the quote. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. I, I guess. And the thing, I always imagine him just working on something for days and days and days, or maybe weeks or something, right? Right. And that's, like, that full-time artist shit. That's almost like living the dream, but, like... It, it also could be problematic, and that's how I see it. I'm like, that could be kind of problematic. Like, how does this guy give himself to relationships, friendships, if he is so in his, uh, mm -hmm. focused in his own art that... It's all about balance, baby. Well, yeah. Um, and that's why I'm like, I, I think I balance pretty okay, and I, um, yeah. I try. Well, I, I think you're doing pretty okay. Well. Well. <laughs> um, anyway, so... There was a debate over uh, who really started the movement. Was it Jackson Pollock or was it Hans Hoffman? And I don't know enough about it, but I mean, all these different sources I looked at, they were like, it was Hans Hoffman. I mean, he was a teacher and he did this and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, no, Pollock started it. And I was like, okay, well, Pollock, I've heard, I'd never heard of Hans Hoffman before this. I just hadn't heard it. And I was like, how do I not know this? And I just think because Pollock was such a larger than life character, I think that's why that happened. Um... It, it even goes down to the drip paintings, which we'll get to, and Hans even was like, apparently started doing them before Pollock did, and Pollock was like, hmm, maybe I should do that in my work. So, I don't know, there's a little bit of contention there, and I don't have all the answers. Um, something that I really also enjoyed, that, that Hans Hoffman, when he was teaching, asked Pollock, as a student, do you work from nature? And Pollock replied, I am nature. And then he dropped the mic and he walked away. Just like that. <laughs> Just like that. Um, Man, I don't know what they're having this argument about, about who started it. I think that it was a joint thing amongst <laughs> multiple people, and they're all artists, and that's what, that's that. Well, someone said something that, 
I'll get back to this quote because I really like it. But but someone said, Sorry. no, it's okay. It's good. Because someone said, like, you know, who cares who did it first? It's who took it further. And so they say, yes. So they say Pollock. Because we all know I Pollock. I don't know. So. Well, I mean, but I mean, you've heard of Jackson Pollock before. Right. I don't think you've heard of Hans Hoffman. I haven't. No. So I would, I mean, if by using that logic, I'm like, hey, Pollock, it's him. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like if someone had an idea, but you stole the idea and you did it better. Right. Then you kind of have the idea now. Um, yeah. Anyways, they're all artists that started it. <laughs> You're such a like. This episode of Seinfeld that I can just. There's like this race going by the I've window. I've never seen Seinfeld. Okay. Well, anyway, you've seen enough to know you don't like it, so don't lie. <laughs> that's that's like breakup material right there, not liking Seinfeld. But anyway, there's this woman, and she's like, "You're all winners," and then everyone's like, "What?" Yeah, I saw that. But that's 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 what I think sometimes when you're just like, everyone's an artist. They all did it. It was a joint effort. No one should get more credit than anyone else. Well, I mean, nobody should get the participation badge, but I mean, obviously somebody started it. Yeah. But it was a group effort. <laughs> <laughs> Hans was just like that dude that didn't show up for his part of the assignment until the very end. I don't know. I, I don't know either. Um, anyway, let's get back to this quote. Yeah. Do you, you work, from, work from nature? And Pollock replied, I am nature. I like it. I like it because it's like cocky, but it's also like, it reminds me of the Sal, Salvador Dali quote where he just says, I don't do drugs, I am drugs. Um, what the fuck? Like yeah. high on life type shit? No. I, I He was just out there. Like He was this oh. surrealism. Like that's oh. the melting clocks and the... Oh. Crazy elephant with a skinny leg. Like, that's him. And he's like, oh. yeah, I am drugs, bitch. Like, he was... That's what he said. Yeah, I think so. Um, they just censored it in the in the Stop saying the B word. I think that's the first time I've said it today. No, I said Oh, it. I don't know. I'm not going to go back and listen to it. Today. No, it's okay. We should have, like, an account of it. I swear a lot today because I'm really hyped up. You are, I think, in front of me for swearing today, and that's... Yeah. That is that you're yeah well you still got time. I'm gonna that butt. <laughs> um, anyway, so I am nature. Other than being this like a cocky thing to say, I also I'm like well if we're if we go back to the beginning where we talked about the self important like, you know talking about the human condition. See, I didn't for some reason I didn't read it that way. I read it like, him saying, I'm not, working. My work isn't from what I'm seeing, it's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, when you create a sad piece, it's because I am sad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's how I, okay. I'm glad you said it that way because I, 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 I <laughs> couldn't have put it in those words, but yes. Right. Okay. Exactly. So I don't think it's really a cocky thing to say at all. It could be. I don't know, but that's me. You would be able to find a cocky <laughs> way to say it for sure. Well, I think he's just saying this is my heart being poured on canvas, yeah. not... Someone else's vision I, seeping through me. Maybe you could be both. Maybe everybody's a winner. I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Anyway. Um, well, I'm so glad I'm not an idiot. Where did that come from? I don't know. Because you started saying something, I was like, cocky? Where? Like, oh. I mean, no, okay. it's just, it's, that's why I like talking right. with you about the stuff, because you... Sometimes we even are saying the same thing, but we're saying it in such a different way that there's other elements to it. Right. Yeah, and I, you can simplify it in a way that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's beautiful We now. love simple. 
Yeah, that's yeah. why you like me. I'm in simple-minded, but I'm really... Anyway. Okay, so yeah. Pollock was really bipolar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Pollock were related. <laughs> uh, his wife, Lee Krasner, said this about him. Whatever Jackson felt, he felt more intensely than anyone I've ever known. When he was angry, he was angrier. When he was happy, he was happier. When he was quiet, he was quieter. Um, you remember our last episode, how I was talking about my cup? I sure do. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was something that was kind of known that he was very erratic and whatever. But a lot of people attributed it to his alcoholism, um, which is also how he died. But, oh, shit. Uh, I should have actually double-checked that, because it might just be a rumor, but I, I, what I recall was that it was like a, a, a car accident. Oh, okay, so um, it wasn't alcohol that killed him, it was the actions he took while under the influence. I believe so, okay. but I might be way out to lunch, and if I am, I'm sorry, but that's what I remember from Watched years ago. Watched liver failure from... And I, <laughs> I completely forgot. Um, hmm. that, that's what I remember, but I mean, I also heard so many things like, yeah, he used to pee all over his canvases, because... He was just drinking and just, hey. Um, and there were times where he, so I remember someone saying that, that he would just urinate in public all the time, just to assert dominance. Was, like, so, so many people so, talked about his mental health problems as like alcoholism. They were like, oh, yeah, he was out, he was whatever. He was drunk all the time. But he was using that as self medicating. Obviously, that didn't help. So, it's a little yep. <laughs> column A, a little from column B. Um, but yes. So. Pollock, mostly known for these huge, crazy canvases um, of, of what were called action painting or drip painting. And this is kind of where we're going to get into more of these technical things a little bit. I think drip painting is so ugly. I don't like his work. I don't like it. But I like his philosophy. And we've talked about that before because my... Yeah. Exhibition that I did for my BFA focused on what he was talking about, like... Right. Art was happening in the moment and what's mm -hmm. left over as evidence of art. Um, yeah, the way that they look, the aesthetics of them, I don't like. Okay, um, so I'm not crazy. No, it's, it's the, that's the thing at the very beginning, subjective, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for him, it was this emotional thing, and he was in just in the painting, like, right. standing on it, working in it, like... And peeing on it. And <laughs> leaves a little bit of himself with everyone, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then again, it, we get this argument again, Hans Hoffman or him who started the drip paintings, whatever. Um, yeah, but that's the thing. Drip paintings, that, that is a thing. Action painting. Um, so there are basically three types that they could categorize um, abstract expressionism into. Action painting is one of them. Uh, could be characterized by really loose, kind of erratic... Um, different types uh, of handling of the paint um very aggressive i would say energetic yes. um and that's what pollock was really known for there's so many pictures and there's like um video of him like painting and whatever mm -hmm. as well what i like is this here dictated by chance yeah that is to me what pulls the whole thing yeah um and just put like he didn't he just poured the paint right onto the canvas like, you know right huge like house paint bucket and just like mm -hmm. bleh, bleh, like there was no like let me mix my colors and right. put it like brush it on there it was just he used paint brushes but he used the other end of them half the time just to like bring it was like sticks mm -hmm. and whatever else just to throw it on there um but yeah dictated by chance also goes back to that earlier thing about spontaneity right yes so i think dictated by chance is somewhat true but then it's like i need more blue over here so i'm going to go and put more blue over there how it lands i don't know exactly mm -hmm. but it's going to go in this area 
Um, yeah, so action painting. That's kind of it's, it's see, and that stuff was incredibly complex. They talk about fractals, like these mathematical fractals being in his work and patterns and all these layers. And it, it's not simple painting, unlike um, other types of abstracts or abstract expressionism. Um, because they were very layered and very aggressive and tons of different colors. and um, So another type of abstract expressionism, uh, I don't really have a name for it, but we talk about delicate imagery, fluid shapes and paintings. Um, Frankenthaler had work that fit into this category. Uh, more clearly structured. Um, it talks about it being like poetic and lyrical and, and, and other mm. things. Um, I feel like our work... Is closest to that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do too. Because there's a little bit of like spontaneity sometimes, but then there's like, oh, we need to resolve the spontaneity. Right. We we really focus on the balance and composition of like, where are these colors going? Is this pulling your eye away too much? Whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like it, it kind of fits into that. And then the last one um, is, is color field painting, which we talked, oh, what was her name? I forget. But she fit into this category a little bit as well. Rothko... Rothko makes me feel some kind of way. Um, his work, is, a lot of it is almost like it's only two colors on a huge canvas. It's something I've wanted to do for so long, but the size is really the thing that does it. Like, having just like... It, we talked before about just like Clement Greenberg talking about like, oh, it's really just about the shapes, this, the, or the, the, the space, sort of shapes. The space and the color and the paint itself. And... Mm -hmm. They are, I wish I could remember, was it Surratt? I don't remember the name of the artist who, like, he made, he used this one blue so much that that blue became important. Like, it was really about that color, and I, I don't remember what artist it was. But, like, Rothko would have these huge paintings where it's just, like, 80% of it is one color, 20% of it is another color, that's it. And, like, a straight line sometimes. And I was like, oh, it's beautiful. Like, it's just because it's so, it's like if this door was just flat red, like, it might, I don't know, it, it, but that's the thing, some of this stuff has a lot of depth to it, it's not just flat, but there, it's not, like, all crazy all over the place, different strokes, it's like, I don't know, blended what and faded. what even looks like, I'll have to... Yeah, well, that's what Color Field really was about, like, mm -hmm. it's very open, Right. and like, yes, it is about color, a lot, but it's not about a lot of different colors, right. it's about very specific colors, and having this very open space with them, so you really are just, like, faced with this this color or two or how they like move in and out of each other and like those oh. artists don't have anxiety <laughs> that's the thing I, when i look at it, it it calms me down right but it's like i can't it just doesn't work when it's small i just mm -hmm. I, I, I you know what it reminds me of what you saying it doesn't work when it's small i think it's when you did that green and pink you got it yeah i feel like if it was bigger you would have liked it more a hundred percent yeah yeah, and it turned into a whole different painting after that because like, mm -hmm. this thing sucks. <laughs> like, if it was like, well, I think it was like a it 20 by 20. Pink and green? Yep. Yeah. Okay. You were 100%. I was like, thinking the exact same thing. It was it was this baby soft pink, and it was this olive green. Beautiful colors. They looked beautiful together. I, uh, yeah. I was wearing this. Uh, it's because I was wearing my pink socks, and I was wearing these olive green shoes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, I never would have thought these colors went together, but if I paint them, it's going to look amazing inspiration and it was garbage <laughs> it, it wasn't like... garbage they still uh, the colors still looked really nice side by side that is all i'll say if it but if it was way bigger it would have yeah. been finished but it wasn't 
Everything's better when it's bigger. Is that where you drop the mic? Or? <laughs> just, just remember. Uh, <coughs> well, I'm not taking that out. <laughs> that, that's that's staying in. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, so that is a little bit about abstract expressionism. I kind of want to wrap up. I think that was really fun. I That was like, I feel like it's usually me coming in with all this like educational yeah. shit. That was really cool. Well, I, good. I was having a, I think it was my the pain in my mouth that was stopping me from actually finding information, researching. That's okay. Um, I kind of want to wrap up with talking a little bit about how we work with abstract expressionism. Okay. But we just talked about stuff from the 40s and 50s like the whole time. Right. And I feel like those three categories are almost kind of dead now. I don't feel like we... It, it, that's what happens when you get into postmodernism and post postmodernism and nothing means anything anymore. Everyone does whatever they want. Yes. Even now musically it's like the genre is dead. Like we're people are mixing genres all the time and it's yes. like we got metal and hip hop into this new thing and it's not rap rock anymore and there's d- and EDM in it and hip hop. <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying like <laughs> with with so many different kinds of art, like the genre is dying right. and mm-hmm. um people recognize they can just do whatever they want to do. And that uh, you do it a certain way and it works. Um, yeah, so I am curious as to, uh, I guess, how you feel. Okay, I feel like we fit under this umbrella with a lot of our work. Okay. Is the thing. I feel like your abstracts are abstract expressionism. Right. So. What are you asking me? I wish I had a more pointed question. I just kind of yeah, want to know how you, I just want to know how you feel about, I guess, fitting under that umbrella with knowing a little bit more about the history of it and, like, how how you express it? How you? I feel yeah. like I almost fit perfectly into that the second category of yeah category. Yeah. <laughs> I'd get there eventually. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. It's like you said. It's kind of difficult because everyone just kind of does whatever they want. There is no category. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Woo. What do you think? What do you think? I don't know. Well, I was just kind of relating back to the definitions at the beginning and stuff like that because I'm like, man, yeah, I really feel that. Or, like, I I really identify with that. Like, all those things, like, we, well, you said you really found that I identify with the existentialism part that they were talking about. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. And I really do feel, so, in that earlier definition, we talked emotional expression, particular emphasis on the creative spontaneous act. I really feel yeah. like that's you a lot, too. Yeah. Um, that's I a, feel, excuse me, I fit under that a lot, a lot. Um, I feel like every piece that I have is, there's an emotion behind it, because I can't, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because I'm one big ball of emotions, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I guess so, that's, I just do whatever I want, man, as long as I'm happy. Well, and we both work outside of this, too. It's not yeah. like that's all we're doing. But, um, yeah, and I have already kind of mentioned, I feel like that's I a am thing. nature. There you go. Yeah. I really, man, I never really, even though we were both on the same page with how we interpreted it, we were still, like, I never would have thought about it in that beautiful, poetic way. 
I just thought of him being that's like, just, yeah, I am nature. Like That's just me, my friend. Beautiful, be- <laughs> beautiful and poetic. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, that's okay. We'll try again next time. We're all winners. <laughs> We're all winners. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just feel like, yeah, that's, 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 that's what we do. Um, and a lot of this, I think, is what we do with other forms of art, too, is just not specifically like the spontaneous or whatever and i even tried that color field painting and it was a disaster and when when it did not work out i completely flipped into this spontaneous right. really aggressive thing mm-hmm. and it was i ended up calling it sugar honey ice and tea uh which you can decode that and figure it out but i really like it now um i like it too yeah it's not what i wanted but but that's the thing i just i was like screw this thing and then i got really emotional about it and was like i need to to fix this and I'm not gonna do it in this color field measured way it's really difficult for me to pre-plan an abstract because it, it doesn't I agree 100% it doesn't feel like an abstract I, I can it. go in with everything with a mood with the colors I want with you know thinking of where I want these colors the darker's on the bottom because it's heavy <laughs> that's not what it ends up like yeah then you get there and it's just yeah yeah and then I just feel like everything is forced and it's no good. Yeah. Well, just like nature, I'm going to make like a tree and leaf. <laughs> That's our outro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dad jokes on strong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>